church, as you, the church, as you have heard me say in the past, and say before, you'll hear me say it again, we as a church can do more together than we can do on our own. And Lovettsville Baptist Church is a prime example. Like-minded churches throughout our region partnering together through what we call the Pillar Network, uh, committed to the same mission, committed to pursuing the same passions, pooling resources, uh, sending families, praying together. Uh, Cody came and preached for us this past summer, and by God's grace, seeing the gospel go forth through a new local church in our area uh, that at one time, just even before September, did not exist. So another example of how uh, how the money and time and prayer that we collectively give is being used not only globally, globally but locally uh, within our region. So, so thank you very much. Um, now go ahead, if you would, and open your Bibles with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. Clearly we are a divided congregation today, this side and that side, and a few of you in the back, and everybody's scared to get too close to me for whatever reason. Um, in the middle, um, I'll try not to take that personally, um, but go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, and as you do, the very first question of the uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, what is the chief end of man? What is the purpose for which we exist is the heart of that question. To which the answer, many of you are familiar with, is, is what? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Something many of you may have known and learned from a very, very early age and recited in one form or another through the time of catechisms. With this, John Piper, in his book, Desiring God, says, if, if the chief end of man is to enjoy God forever, then human life should be a living for pleasure, living for enjoyment. Now, naturally, a, a statement such as that requires us to think. It should require us to think, right, when we're hearing that we're being told to, to live for, for pleasure. We need to take that in, process, consider the, the idea that the entire human life, uh, our entire existence on this earth is to be a life lived for the pursuit of pleasure. We ask, is that true? Like, Pastor, are you really saying that our entire life is to be a life lived in the pursuit of pleasure? Like, really? Is, is that what you're saying? Yes. Yes. Entire life, everyone's life, to be lived in the pursuit of life's greatest pleasure. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? To live our entire life in the pursuit of life's greatest pleasure. The real question is how do we do that? What does that mean? What does that look like? How are we to pursue such pleasure? Well, the answer has already come 
by glorifying God and enjoying him forever. And then the question is how? How do we do that on this earth faithfully? Well, that's what we're looking at today. So let's pick up in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12. We're going to read through the end of chapter 2, so bear with me here on what can be a very tongue-tying passage in Ecclesiastes, and let's follow along uh, together. I, the preacher, have been given, been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that it, this also is but a striving after wind. But in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I, I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly for what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, and yet I perceive that the same event happens to the, all of them. Then I said in my heart, 
what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also vanity. For of the wise as of the fool there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. Seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun. For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Now, if you remember... Last week, we, we looked at how the, the literal meaning of the word that we see translated here as vanity or meaningless or futile, depending on the translation that you have, the literal meaning is vapor or breath. Here one moment, gone the next. And that's hugely important when it comes to understanding what we just read in, in this series of passages. Because what is the preacher who I believe to be King Solomon, what, what is he telling us in these verses? Well, he's telling us everything he did to pursue happiness. Everything he did to pursue pleasure, enjoyment in this world. And then he tells us what he discovered through it all. So a big life experiment in the pursuit of pleasure, and he says, okay, these are my, my findings. So let's start with looking at his pursuit. We'll call it the pursuit of happiness or the pursuit of pleasure. As he tells us in verse 12, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. All that is done under 
the son. Solomon's like, okay, I've set my focus and I have spared no expense to give myself the greatest enjoyment that this world can offer. That's his experiment. That's his aim. That's his goal. And we can see from our reading that he left no stone unturned in these pursuits. Like He went after it all with vigor, passion, from obtaining wisdom to applying wisdom, gathering of all kinds of possessions, physical pleasures and delights. You name it, he did it, went after it, and went after some more. So you know how sometimes we're tempted to say, at least I'm tempted to say, you know, if I could just have this or that or do just this or that, then that would make me happy. Anybody else ever said that or thought that at some point in time? Yeah, we all have in some form or fashion. But then the problem with that statement is whatever this or that is is so far out of our reach. It's like that's never going to happen. You know what I'm talking about? It'd be like, like, let's take it to an extreme example here for a moment. Imagine if you could own Disney World, right? Like, you just own Disney, right? Like that would be pretty awesome. Like, for me, like, all the ESPNs that come with it and all of that would be pretty great. The happiest place on earth is yours. You can go, you can do whatever you want with it. That's never going to happen. Well, for me, that's never going to happen. Maybe for one of you that will happen, not for me. It's hard enough to pay for a trip to Disney, much less buy Disney. But if you own Disney, it's the happiest place on earth. Again, pipe dream for us, not so for Solomon. He had the money to buy anything that he wanted. There was no pipe dream too big for him. He had it all. Nothing was off limits. Which means when he set his heart to seek out pleasure, there was literally nothing under the sun he couldn't have. Nothing. So he pursued it all. And in the process, he acquired more wisdom and more knowledge than anyone who had ever lived before him. So he's filthy rich, brilliantly smart, Like education that would rival and exceed the most advanced degrees of the finest universities of today. He had it. And not only was he smart, he was incredibly wise. Wiser than anyone else who had ever lived. But just to be sure. Just to be sure that happiness wasn't found outside of wisdom. Like Hmm, maybe there's happiness to be pursued in a different path other than wisdom. He says, okay, just to be sure, he allowed himself to pursue even madness and folly. That was just foolishness. He's like, okay, I'm going to go after that too. His thought being, well, maybe if I do dumb stuff, then that dumb stuff will make me even happier than wisdom, which isn't the wisest of things to do. But... He's certainly not alone in this, is he? How many of us have been there? You don't have to raise your hands. It's all of us doing dumb stuff in an attempt to find pleasure and happiness. Friend, you may be there right now. 
all joking aside. This may be exactly what describes you in this moment. Trying dumb stuff in order to pursue happiness and to pursue pleasure, to find joy that you're lacking. But here's what Solomon discovered in chapter 2, verse 13. I saw that there is more to gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. And the only appropriate response to this is a really deep theological answer. Duh. Duh. But again, we've all been there at some point. Some of you, again, may be there right now. But here's a valuable piece of wisdom that we learn from Solomon's dumb stuff. Don't do dumb stuff. That's the wisdom. And if you've already done dumb stuff, don't do dumb stuff again. That's the wisdom. Wisdom is learning from our mistakes and the mistakes of others. Wisdom is not having to learn the hard way. It'd be really nice if we could learn that, right? But Solomon, as wise as he was, ventured to learn the hard way. Turning his attention to wine, as we're told in the text. Either in excess and drunkenness, which is the common assumption. That's the easiest way to kind of think about this and apply it. But but let's give him the benefit of the doubt for a moment. Let's just say that he, he came at it and was pursuing wine as a connoisseur. Taste testing. Taste testing the finest of all the wines. I mean, he's rich beyond belief. He could have it imported for anywhere he wants. And he has his own vineyards on top of that. So either way, whether it's in drunkenness and excess or whether he's pursuing it as a fine connoisseur, he, he's pursuing happiness one way or the other. But then he looked to great works, the building of large houses and parks and gardens and those lavish vineyards. He acquired slaves and all kinds of possessions and silver and gold and treasures that amount to the greatest treasures the world has ever seen. He had singers and he had concubines. Like we're talking 300 concubines and 700 wives. Everything he could possibly think to bring his heart pleasure and joy, this man went after. Everything this world says will bring us happiness, he obtained. And friends, let's take a very important truth from the book of Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. People are still pursuing the same stuff today. If I can just have this and obtain this and do that, accomplish this, then all of that will make me happy. People still doing dumb stuff in the pursuit of of happiness. Now, I don't know anyone today with 300 concubines and 700 wives. But I know of plenty of people trying to find pleasure through an unlimited supply of images on the screen. trying to find pleasure outside of the confines of marriage. Again, there's nothing new under the sun. And then through it all, what does Solomon discover? 
the emptiness of worldly pleasures. He finds the emptiness of it all. As he says in chapter 1, verse 14, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. Everything is a vapor. All that I pursued, it's a, it's a vapor. It's here one moment and it's gone the next. Nothing is lasting is his discovery. No, no, it's going with us in the end. Not one thing, it's gone. And so if that's how someone spends their life, like Solomon, even on a smaller scale, but spends life pursuing all of life's pleasures, Friends, that's what amounts to a meaningless and wasted life. Great success in the eyes of the world, but meaningless when it comes to eternity. And for the secular worldview, that is all that there is. Thus to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But now let's look at his conclusions just a bit further. Starting with what he found by seeking pleasure through wisdom. And knowledge, verse 18, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Now, I, for one, want to know what he means by this. What do you mean that the one who increases in wisdom and knowledge also increases in sorrow? Does he really mean that the more you know, the more sorrow you will have? Because if so, that sounds like a perfect excuse not to go to college or not to do well in school. Right? Wrong. But imagine if if you truly sought pleasure in, in everything that this world has to offer, including knowledge. You graduated from the finest of institutions, valedictorian. You've reached the pinnacle And the more wisdom and knowledge that you have gathered still doesn't bring you the happiness that you're so desperately longing for. That will no doubt bring sorrow, won't it? You get to this end, this culminating point, you're thinking it's going to be like, yes, climactic moment. And it's, oh, I'm still void of what I'm really longing for. What have I done with my life? But honestly, friends, I think there's more to it than this. See, we have more knowledge at our disposal today than any time in history. And I'm not just talking about our ability to Google, though it's helpful in this. But we know now more about what's happening in the world today than ever before. And what does all this knowledge bring us? More joy? Or more sorrow? More sorrow. When was the last time that you watched the news or scrolled through your social media, checked the headlines, and walked away feeling very happy and encouraged and uplifted? But yet, what do we continue to consume? More knowledge, more news, more information, which brings what? Even more sorrow. To which some will respond by saying, well, that's why we don't watch the news. That's why we've done away with it all. Essentially just burying their heads in the sand and have no clue what's going on in the world. Which has an appeal to it, I, I get. Some folks even proud of it. Thinking, hey, you know what, the less that I know, 
the better. And yes, we'd all do well to consume less breaking news. Turn off the notifications on our phone. We don't need it instantaneously. But we also have to remember ignorance isn't the answer either. Putting our fingers in our ears and just screaming, la, 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 la. It doesn't make the troubles of this world go away. It just blinds us from them. Nor does it help us engage as Christians a, a lost and dying world with the gospel any better. In fact, I would argue that it only makes it harder for us to do. Puts forth a naive arrogance that we put forth. of Like, I don't know anything that's going on in the world. Well, we are to be in the world and not just not of it. So ignorance isn't the source of happiness either. But as he goes on, he finds neither is worldly pleasure. As Solomon says in chapter 2, verse 10, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. Now pause there for a moment. And look at that verse again, verse 10. He confesses what? That he found pleasure. And he found enjoyment. He, in what? In his self-indulgence, in his work, in his toil. He enjoyed it. And I believe him. I believe he's honest in saying that he enjoyed these things. Like, why do them otherwise, right? Like the prodigal son, he, he found pleasure in the things that this world has to offer. The wine, the stuff, the money, the treasure, the physical pleasures, all of it bringing delight, all bringing some form of happiness, at least momentarily. Again, why would he do it otherwise? You don't have 700 wives and 300 concubines if there's not something in that that you're enjoying, right? Like, why would he do that? But at the same time, you don't have 700 wives and 300 concubines if you're truly happy. You're searching for something that none of them has yet to fulfill. It's the constant, well, maybe this next one will bring me the happiness that all the others have not. Same thing today. Same thing today on so many levels to which we can connect the dots to our own life and application. But when Solomon looked back on all the pleasures that he pursued, this was his conclusion in verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. None of it was lasting. Not one bit of it was, was lasting. All the pleasure they brought was but a vapor. All the wealth that he obtained, more than anyone in the history of the world, a mere striving after the wind. Wise or foolish, rich or poor, verse 14, the same event happens to all of them. We all die. Every one of us. The wise 
dies just like the fool. The poor man, just like the rich. Just a different coffin. Work your entire life, gain great wealth. You die, and what happens? You leave it to those who come after you. And maybe that's your, your aim. But then he comes back and he says in verse 9, and you don't know whether the person you're leaving it to is going to be wise or a fool. <laughs> they can squander it all. Everything you worked your entire life to obtain, and you don't know what's going to become of it. It's all a vapor. And for Solomon, this realization led him, like it does so many today, to what? To despair. Realizing that everything that he has worked his entire life for, he's not taken with him. It's all a vapor. Which brings us to what conclusion? Well, the lasting joy of godly happiness. See, at the end of all of his pursuits of wisdom and pleasure, this is what Solomon discovers. And like every good preacher, he puts it in the form of a three-point sermon. Number one, you think we're, you thought we were done. <laughs> Number one, there's nothing better than to find enjoyment in life's pleasures. Which isn't exactly the answer you're expecting, is it? Like to find enjoyment in all of life's pleasures. Verse 24, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in all his toil. Which begs the question naturally, does this mean after all of his pursuits, he's thrown up his hands and adopted a secular worldview, just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die? Is that kind of the conclusion that he's come to? Like, okay, whatever, I've given up. <laughs> is this what it is? No, that's not where he's at at all. No, what he sees is that all of life's pleasures are from God. All of them. Everything in this world, all of life's pleasures are from God. Thus, they should be enjoyed. Continuing in verse 24. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or drink or have enjoyment? And the answer, no one. It's impossible. Why? Because all of life's pleasures come from who? God. All of them come from God. He is the creator. Absolutely pivotal point to any healthy biblical worldview is to understand God as creator. And as creator, he declared his creation to be what? Very good. And so with that in mind, that all creation was created very good, when we think back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and that world of which existed, what existed in that world? Fruit of the vine. Work. Yes, work existed in the garden. Pleasure. The marriage bed. All of it existed in the garden. And God deemed it all what? Very good. He deemed it very good. So then the question is, what's the problem? What's the problem? 
If all these things are good and are from God, what's the problem? Sin is the problem. Sin is the problem. Since the fall in Genesis chapter 3, all that God created as good has been sinfully distorted and abused. People have worshipped the creation over the creator. It's all of Romans chapter 1 telling us this. Longed for the creation and the pleasures that it offers while denying the one who those pleasures come from. Failing to see that apart from God, who can eat or drink or have enjoyment. Failing to see, as James 1.17 tells us, that every gift, every good and perfect gift is from above. See, the problem isn't that Solomon or, or we pursue pleasures found in this world. The problem, friends, comes when we enjoy them in a way God never intended. Or when we seek them to bring about a joy only God himself was intended to bring. That's the problem. Consider wisdom and knowledge, for example. Nothing wrong with either of them. We should pursue both wisdom and knowledge. But all the wisdom in the world, all the wisdom under the sun will never satisfy as Solomon discovered. But the wisdom of God will. The wisdom of God will satisfy. The wisdom of God not being a what, but a who. 1 Corinthians telling us Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, which is why a wise person will set his or her heart to pursue Christ without end, the word of God. Why? Because he's the one who captivates our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. He captivates all of it. He's our creator. We who were once dead in our sin, alive in Christ, and all of that means. And that's not the end of the Christian's pursuit any more than a wedding is the end of a marriage. Oh, no. As A.W. Tozer says in his book, The Pursuit of God, to have found God and yet still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. See, when sinners come to faith in Christ and the, and the Spirit brings about the new birth and this new creation work, there is a joyful uniting of heart, soul, mind, and strength with our Creator. We who were once dead, again, are now alive in Christ. And that's just the beginning. It's only the beginning. The glorious beginning of our pursuit of Him who first pursued us which we do through the intentional study of God's Word, through prayer, solid teaching, good books, genuine Christian fellowship, but all of that coming back to time in God's Word. Everything coming back and being centered around God's Word. We can never and will never truly delight in Christ and enjoy God with great pleasure if we're not getting to know him through intentional time in his word. But the more we pursue him through his word, and the more we learn and the more we grow, oh, the sweeter and more desirable he becomes. 
And our hearts yearn even more for the one who can make the crooked path straight. As Paul says in Philippians 3.10, Oh, that I may know him and the power of the resurrection. And remember, these these aren't words from, from someone who doesn't know Christ, wanting to know the power of his resurrection, wanting to know Christ. No, these are words from one who loves Christ. And wants to know him more and more and more and more. He wants to drink from the well that will never run dry. And he cannot get enough to the extent, he says, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Oh, church, this is what it means to live life in reverse. Realize, okay, we're all going to die. So let's live now for what's going to matter 10,000 years from now. And quit pursuing all these worldly pleasures that are but a vapor. Paul's saying in his life now, for me to live is Christ, but to die is what? Gain. It is gain. Oh, I picture Paul saying, oh, that I may live every moment poured out for Christ and the glory of God. Paul's accusers and guards and come and say, we're going to lock you in prison if you don't quit talking about Jesus. Paul's like, okay, I will tell the guards and the prisoners about Jesus. We're going to kill you if you don't stop talking about Jesus. Great, I get to be with Jesus. Why? Oh, friends, words and thoughts like this don't well up from an empty tank. Or a life of despair. Or the absence of joy and happiness. No, this is a life lived in the pursuit of lasting happiness. Lasting pleasure. It's a life poured out in pursuit of Christ. In obedience to Christ. Because it's a life delighting in who? Christ. It's a life delighting in the greatest of all pleasures. And so I ask, can this be said of you? Can this be said of us? Are you delighting in Christ? Are you glorifying God and enjoying him forever right now? See, when Christ is our true treasure, we have all the happiness we will ever need. Now, does this mean that the things of this world won't or shouldn't bring us pleasure? No. They are most assuredly intended to bring us pleasure. They are a gift from God to bring us pleasure. That's the connection that's being made here. Secular worldview looks to the stuff for that pleasure. A biblical worldview looks to Christ for that pleasure, and we get to enjoy the stuff as God designed. See, the pleasures we've been given to enjoy are an outflow, an overflow of a joyful creator who lacks nothing and needs nothing. He didn't create us because he needed us. He created us because he wanted to. He poured out all of this through his creativity and love for us to be able to enjoy it. To enjoy But again, only when they're enjoyed as God the creator designed them to be enjoyed. And when he's with us in 
the enjoyment. Phil Riken, a former pastor in Philadelphia, some of you may be familiar with, and president of Wheaton College, illustrates this well by referencing a portion of a story from Prince Caspian from the Chronicles of Narnia series by C.S. Lewis, highlighting a scene where sisters, Lucy and Susan, are, are having a romp, English language for kind of a party, a romp with Aslan. Aslan is the great lion king. He's returned to the land of Narnia, and he's awakened the forest. There's a raucous dancing taking place with laughter and shouting and a feast of luscious grapes that taste like wine. A wild boy is dancing there. He's dressed only in fawn skin with vine leaves treated in his curly hair. Lucy and Susan's brother Edmund, <laughs> he looks at the boy and he says, well, there's a chap who might just about do anything, absolutely anything. <laughs> Later, the children figure out that the wild youth was Bacchus, also known as Dionysius, the god of wine. This then prompts Susan to make a very wise observation. I wouldn't have felt very safe with Bacchus and all of his wild girls if we'd met him without Aslan. Lucy then responded, I should say not. The lesson here being that the pleasures of this world are only safe when God is present with us and they're being enjoyed as he desires. See, there is a pleasure to be found in everything Solomon mentions. Pleasures we're able and intended to enjoy now. From wisdom, to work, to music, to food, to wine, to treasure. All of it intended to be enjoyed. But at the same time, we must keep it all in perspective. It's all a vapor. It's here one moment and it's gone the next. And the pleasures that they bring will not last. Which is why Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Which begs the question, is Christ your supreme treasure? Is Christ the source of your greatest delight? Friends, think about that question today. Is Christ, strip everything else away, is Christ the source of your supreme happiness? Because knowing and pleasing God through Christ is the answer to life's pursuit of pleasure.
as Solomon states in verse 26. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Oh, may we spend the breath that we have been given pursuing the everlasting joy that is found in Christ, who is the wisdom of God. This is how we pursue and enjoy life's greatest pleasure. The chief end of man, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we come before you in response to the preaching of your word. And we say thank you. Yes, we we thank you for the pleasures of this world, but above all, we thank you for Christ. Lord, we thank you that we even have the ability to enjoy For that in and of itself is a gift from you that we do not deserve. So may our hearts enjoy the things that you enjoy and desire the things that you desire and be about the work that you would have us to be about. Lord, may we take today's word. And Lord, I pray that you will use it to fan the flame of our hearts, to sweeten the aroma of Christ. Lord, that we may taste and see and savor Christ above all the worldly pleasures. And in turn, glorify you with our lives. Oh, may that be the happiness we long for. May that be the, the happiness that describes our life. May that be our life's pursuit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and continue in worship in response to the preaching of God's word and sing together.